time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. You guys are doing all right, aren't you? As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts, declares the Lord. God compares the difference between our thoughts and his thoughts to the expanse of space. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Everybody snap for me. In the time it takes to snap, light circumnavigates the globe half a dozen times. That's faster than fast. Now to put it in perspective, if you could drive to the sun which is 93 million miles away, 65 miles an hour, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It'd take you more than 163 years to get there. Do you know what? The sunlight that warms our face on a beautiful day like today, it left the surface of the sun only eight minutes ago. Now here's the thing. The sun is our nearest star in our tiny little galaxy called the Milky Way. Astrophysicists have discovered galaxies that are 15.5 billion light years away. A light year equivalent of 5.88 trillion miles. You multiply 5.88 trillion by 15.5 billion. And I have no idea what you come up with. But it's a big number. It's an incomprehensible number because the distance of the universe is absolutely, virtually impossible to measure. And God says that's about the difference between my thoughts and your thoughts. So here's my thought. Your best thought on your best day is 15.5 billion light years short of how great and how good God really is. Every single one of us that walked in here tonight, we walked in underestimating God by 15.5 billion light years. Can we praise the Lord tonight? Man, I have one, one desire that God would be glorified in this place, in our lives tonight. And I believe, I mean, it's already been an amazing night. And I believe that the Lord's been blessed by our praise and our worship. But you know what worship does? I think it begins to open up our spirits and open up our minds. And then we allow God to, by his word and by his spirit, begin to speak into us. And so, listen, I'm here tonight And I know that you don't need to hear a thing I have to say, but all of us need a word from the Lord. And I want to pray and believe that God has some revelation for us as we look into his word tonight. Father, we come to you and we offer these moments to you. And God, we believe that you're about to do something in our lives. God, we have a holy anticipation. Not because of anything we've done not because of what we deserve, but because there's a God who loves us with an unconditional love. There's a God who graces us with unmerited grace. There is a God who is omnipotent in power and you love us and you have a plan and purpose for us. And God, I pray that in these moments that you would reveal something to us In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. And verse number 16. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. 
Just a little observation here. The commandments are not about right and wrong. They're about life and death, aren't they? Jesus says, if you want to enter into life, if you want that fullness of life, that abundant life, that quantitative, qualitative life, then obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. And Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. And it's this next statement that's remarkable. Like, I just, I wonder if anybody here would even, I mean, I I can't imagine saying this. I mean, and, and besides that, he's talking to Jesus. This, this guy says, all these I have kept. Like, are you kidding me? Like, perfection personified. Like, I I don't know how to describe this, but I mean, this is someone that, like, if you're saying I've kept all the commandments, you got something going on. You have got your religious act together. But then it's this next question that reveals something much deeper and speaks volumes. He says, what do I still lack? Something is missing. And and I'm guessing that tonight, uh, some of us are like this rich young ruler. And we are trying so hard to keep the commandments. And, you know, every service we're there and we're in the mosh pit worshiping God. And, man, we are going after it. But, But there's just something is still missing. Something is still lacking. I believe that God might reveal that to you tonight. And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Everybody give me a gasp. Thank you. So I think we read this and we totally underestimate what Jesus is offering to this rich young ruler. I mean, that ought to be our reaction. Like, are you kidding me? You're the son of God and you have just invited me to follow you. Wow. But when the young man heard this, instead of great joy, it says he went away sad because he had great wealth. Listen, I believe every story in the Bible, we can find ourselves in there, can't we? And I think um, something's going on with this rich young ruler that is worth us unpacking together tonight. So he's got his religious act together. And honestly, uh, you know, it seems like he's got everything we want. In fact, um, you know, I went to seminary. And I took these classes in exegesis. And so, um, you know, just, you know, Pastor David, just, you know, in keeping with like the, the Greek word for man, you know, man. Um, uh, y- you know, I studied really hard, paid a lot of money for that education. And here's the conclusion that I've come to. Uh, the rich young ruler was um, rich, young, and a ruler. Thank you. Um, I know you're so glad you came tonight. Um, you could have never figured that on your own. But, but it's very interesting because something's happening here. We don't know his name. But I think this reveals his identity. I think maybe he's finding his identity in his youth and wealth and power. And we think to ourselves, if we had those things, oh, life would be good. Life would be so good. And yet he's still asking the question, what am I still missing? Let me take a shot at it and and tell you what I think is going on here. Several years ago, uh, I had the opportunity to be in the Galapagos Islands. Now, the Galapagos Islands, oh, closest thing to the Garden of Eden left on earth. It's an archipelago of 49 islands uh, off the coast of Ecuador. And we're actually there on a missions trip. Um, That was really, really cool because our our services get translated into Spanish. And some of these islands don't have churches, uh, but they have TVs. 
And so our messages were being broadcast. And, and so we, we like went on the ocean to get to these islands and, and we would tell them about the broadcast and share Christ with them. And, and uh, it was an amazing trip. Um, but, but here's what was so remarkable to me. The, Gal- the Galapagos Islands, um, how do you describe it? Uh, it, it it's, it's like a zoo without cages. Um, there's every animal imaginable, but what was so thrilling was encountering these animals in their natural habitat. And so, you, you know, you like get off the boat and immediately you've got these like, you know, these marine iguanas that are like this big and they're kind of hanging out right here and they are not intimidated by you at all. And it's like, kind of like, wow, like they're right here. And then there were these uh, 200 year old uh, tortugas that were like this big and you can kind of go up and pet their shell or whatever. And, and then um, there were these pelicans that look like prehistoric pterodactyls that would circle our boat. And and at any given moment, they would dive bomb into the ocean and they would shoot straight down. And you could see them go down about 10 feet and they would come up with with breakfast in their beak. And and then in one moment, this is the highlight, uh, my son and I, my son who was with me, um, I don't even know if this is safe and like don't try this at home, I guess, but um, there were these sea lions that were just, they were swimming in, in the ocean, and I was like, well, let's jump in. And so, like, I'm in the Pacific Ocean, like, swimming with sea lions, and they're, like, swimming around us. And it was just, it was, it was breathtaking. It was thrilling. So we flew home, and a week later, we went to the zoo. Now, listen, the National Zoo, uh, where I live in Washington, D.C., it's a great zoo. But you know what? I'm, I'm ruined for zoos because there's no chance that you could possibly be killed because there are cages. You know, it's just too safe. It's too controlled. It's too predictable. And, and, and so there's this moment where I'm walking through the zoo and I'm in the ape house and I see this 400 pound gorilla behind this protective plexiglass. And this thought fires across my synapses. I wonder if churches do to people what zoos do to animals. I wonder if in the name of Christ, we try to remove some of the danger and we try to remove some of the risk. And the next thing you know, you know what you got? You've got a caged Christian. You've got a Christian that, that much like this rich young ruler, here's what was going on. I think he felt caged. See, he was keeping all the prohibitive commandments. He wasn't doing anything wrong. Oh, would you hear me tonight? Goodness is not the absence of badness. You can do nothing wrong and still do nothing right. Listen, you cannot tell me that Jesus Christ died on the cross to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. Listen, I would like to think that we do that thing called a benediction at the end of the service. Like I would like to think that we are sending people back into their natural habitat to wreak havoc on the enemy. I, I think what you have here is a guy that's not doing anything wrong. And it's not enough. It's not enough. See, that doesn't, that doesn't fulfill us because let, let me get theological for a moment, okay? And, and maybe if you're taking notes, you can kind of jot these two things down and maybe you've heard this before, but, but I think this is a significant distinction. Um, one of my deep concerns, and this just comes from, you know, I pastor a church in kind of one, one little corner of God's kingdom called Washington, D.C. And, and I love it. Um, we're, uh, we're a multi-site church. We're like 70% single 20-something, so a very young church. And, and uh, God's doing some wonderful things in the nation's capital. But from my limited vantage point, here's one of my deep concerns. It seems like the church at large, like we're more known for what we're against than what we're for. And I think the reason for that is because for many decades, we have fixated on sins of commission. Uh, and sins of commission are those things that, that, that you shouldn't do, okay? And let me go on record as saying that I am against sins of commission. You know, there are things you shouldn't do, okay? But it's, but it's the sins of 
omission. It's what you would have, could have, and should have done for the cause of Christ that I think is what really grieves the heart of our Heavenly Father. Why, why do I think that? Because I'm a dad, and I have three kids, and I love my kids. And my deepest desire is that they would grow up to follow Christ, to love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and I'll be honest, like I love it when my kids make a decision not to do something wrong. Like that's awesome. But is that my dream for them? Are you kidding? No, because I'm, I'm a normal dad. And I see in my kids unbelievable God-given potential. Like I can see who they can, who they can become. And I, I believe in them. Oh man, I'm having a moment. Can I share this? Man, a, a week ago, um, my eight-year-old son uh, had, had a moment that, um, so I'm down at the office and I have this little deal that anytime my family calls, my wife and my kids, I always answer it. Um, because I, I want them to know that they're, they're more important, that family is more important than ministry. And, and so one way I do that is I answer the phone. But my eight-year-old, uh, just learned how to use the phone two weeks ago. And so he is calling me off the hook. Um, he had already called me three times like that morning. And so I'm like, I, like, I love you, son. But you know, like I'm in a staff meeting. And so I, I kind of broke my rule. And I was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna answer it the first time. And, but, but then he called back a second time. I'm like, all right, like I better, I better answer it. And so uh, bottom line, um, my eight-year-old Josiah and my 14-year-old Parker were at, home, uh, were at home. And my 14-year-old is just, um, he is cultivating the spiritual gift of sleeping in late. And so he's, oh, I love it. I have struck a chord with the gift of sleep. Um, so he's sleeping and we have some painters over at the house who are painting our house. And one of the painters says to my eight-year-old, there's a fire in your backyard. Well, here's the deal. We've had like a hundred degree heat in DC and, and the news did this story about how if you like have, you know, grass or weeds or whatever and you let it dry and, and just don't do anything with it, it can spontaneously combust and cause a fire. And I am here to tell you that that can happen because it did happen. So the painter continues to paint. I mean, I know painting our house is really important, but if it burns down, like, you know, that, yeah. Um, and so my little eight-year-old um, goes out with two glasses of water, one in each hand. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And he's pouring water on it and he's, and uh, bless his heart, he's trying so hard. Like, you know, son, you might want to use a larger water container the next time, but that's awesome. And some neighbors come over because that causes smoke to begin to, you know, uh, go into the sky. And, and so neighbors come over and like, you got a fire and, and they're like, open your garage door. And, and Josiah's like, my mom told me not to open the garage door for strangers. And they're like, you have a fire in your backyard. And so uh, he opens the garage door and, uh, and they, they have larger containers and they put out the fire. And, and it was an awesome moment because um, I, actually I paraded Josiah down to the office and I introduced like, you know, I mean, our whole staff knows Josiah, but I, I went ahead and introduced all of them to my hero. You know what? And here's the thing. It'll actually be one of his earliest memories. He'll never forget that uh, because I won't let him forget that. Um, now, I, I don't know. I don't even, why, why did I even share that? Because well, I love my kids. But, but I think there is a point to it that, like, as a parent, like, man, I see the hero in my kid. I, I, see, I see even at eight, year old, eight years old who he can become. And I just, man, no one believes in their kids like a, like a dad. And, and listen, I want to tell you tonight, there is a heavenly father who doesn't just love you. But did you know he, he believes in you? Like, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but we talk so much about our faith in God and what an amazing thing it is for us to put our faith in the almighty, omnipotent, omniscient God. Okay, what about God putting his faith in very imperfect, sinful creatures called us? Like, was it not more of an act of faith for Jesus to kind of like hand over the keys to the kingdom to his disciples? Like, it, is, that, is that not more an act of faith? Are you tracking with me? Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? And so what I'm saying is, listen, it's not the sins of commission. 
it's a sins of omission that break the heart of our Heavenly Father. And, and I hope that that's kind of, uh, can kind of frame our thoughts tonight. Because what you have in the rich young ruler is someone who was getting it right when it came to the sins of commission. But the sins of omission? No. Totally missed it. Let's keep going. And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Uh, Can I just ask an honest question? How many of you have ever read what Jesus says right here and you felt a little bit bad for the rich young ruler? Just let let me see your hands. Um, me too in fact um, I shouldn't even say this but you ever have a moment where you're reading the Bible and and you just kind of want to correct Jesus because he's doing something wrong (laughs) this was one of those moments for me like you know when I read this story like I'm thinking like you know Jesus you might want to start with the tithe like with 10% you know what I'm saying like you might not want to go for the whole thing right away. Um, but, but here's what I've learned. I've learned that when I'm reading scripture and I think that Jesus is wrong, it actually reveals something about my very non-omniscient perspective of what's happening in the story. Let me tell you what's happening in the story. Jesus doesn't even ask the question, does he? He, he doesn't answer the question that he's asking. Like it, I love this. Jesus has this ability to answer the question that you should have asked. And, and so he's like, you know what? We're just, uh, we're not going to play around. Let's just get to the heart of the matter. See, Jesus knew that this rich young ruler found his identity and security in, in what? In his wealth. Let me ask you a question tonight. Is there something outside of a relationship with Christ that you find your identity in? That's where God will chop at, at the root system of whatever that thing is. Because whatever that thing is will keep you from reaching your full God-given potential. And, and it will keep you asking, what do I still lack? Here's the great irony. It's going to be the hardest thing for you to let go of. But I want to tell you something tonight. Your greatest asset what was not the wealth of this rich young ruler his greatest asset. I mean, you think about all the good he could have done. But your greatest asset becomes your greatest liability if you don't use it for God's purposes. And so Jesus knew, listen, if I don't get your wealth, I'm not going to get you. You know what? He will not settle for anything less than all of you. Listen, is there some part of your life that you have not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Is there something that you are finding your identity and security in? Listen, if you aren't willing to give that thing up, then you are stuck. And you will never grow beyond that point. Let me share a little bit of my story. When I graduated from high school, I went to the University of Chicago on a basketball scholarship. It's about an hour from home. And on paper... Oh, it was a great situation. I mean, I, I, I think it was uh, one of the most expensive schools at the time. And I went for free, not, not a dime. Didn't pay a thing. By the end of my freshman year, I had a starting position on the basketball team. And at the time, it was the third ranked university in the country behind Harvard and Yale. And so on paper... It was perfect. But you know what? If I'm being honest, I found a little bit of my identity in that. I found some identity and some security in, in some of the academic and athletic things that I was involved in. And I wonder if there's anybody like that tonight. See, I was finding identity and security in something that, that I shouldn't have been placing it in. Well, at the end of my freshman year, I asked God, a dangerous question. Now, the only thing more dangerous than asking this question is not asking this question. Here it is. I just simply ask God, what do you want me to do with my life? Can, can I just, 
can we just make sure that everybody's asked God that question? Like, is that all right for me to say? Like, if you have not asked God that question, you need to ask him that question. What do you want me to do with my life? So here's the amazing thing. I was five years old when I put my faith in Christ. Somehow God used a movie called The Hiding Place to just, I, I don't know why or how, but in the sovereignty of God, we, we went to see that movie. I, honestly, I don't even think my parents should have taken me to see it when I was five years old, but they did. And so we're there watching this movie and afterwards we, we go home, my mom's tucking me into bed and it's one of my earliest memories. And I asked her if I could ask Jesus into my heart and, and she said yes. And so I, I prayed that night and, and it was a moment where a spiritual journey began. But if I'm being completely honest, I think for a long time, I thought that I was following Christ. But, but I really wonder if it was more of an inverted relationship with God. I think until I was 19 years old, I think it wasn't really about me following Christ. It was more about Christ following me. I kind of invited him to follow me. I want to tell you, there's a world of difference between those two things. See, like I didn't want to go anywhere that Jesus like didn't follow me. Like, you know, I'm playing basketball. Like, come on on the court because I need your help. Um, you know, I'm in the classroom. I'm getting ready to take a test. Like, oh man, you know, I'm praying for word of knowledge, you know, as I'm in that, you know, because I need God's help. And I like, and there was just this profound sense that I didn't want to go anywhere that, that Jesus wouldn't go with me. But if I'm being honest, it was more about him serving my purposes than me serving his. So until I was 19, I think Christ was following me. Now praise God that he will never leave us nor forsake us. But it was in that moment where I asked that question, what do you want me to do with my life? That God began to speak to me. And listen, to make a long story short, after a summer of seeking God, I mean, I wanted the answer immediately, but it wasn't until the very last week of summer vacation. We're on vacation uh, in Alexandria, Minnesota. I get up early one morning to do a prayer walk, and I'm walking down some dirt roads, and then I take a little shortcut through a cow pasture, and it's in the middle of that cow pasture that I hear this, this inaudible yet unmistakable voice of God, and I know I'm called to ministry. And I promise you, like two years before that, I would have, I would have had no, it wouldn't even have been on my radar. And I had a choice to make. Because you know what? Most of the people in my life said, well, like, why would you give up a full-ride scholarship? Why would you do that? You're in a great situation. But you know what? I knew that it was a moment that if I didn't let go of this, I wouldn't be able to hold on to this. And so in that moment, I made one of the toughest decisions I've ever made. I gave up that scholarship and transferred to a little Bible college called Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. Now, here, here's the funny thing. Like, well, thank you. Um, you'll appreciate this then. Like at the time, CBC wasn't even regionally accredited. You got to love this. They wouldn't accept all of my credits from the University of Chicago. Well, thank you very little. Um, and so I made that transition and, and I look back and it was one of the turning points in my life. I just want to ask you the question, is there something that you find your identity and security in outside of a relationship with Christ? And is that something you need to let go of it? And if you don't let go of it, then you're, you're going to short circuit the plans and purposes of God in your life. I think we feel sorry for the rich young ruler. Because we focus on what Jesus asked him to give up. And then we totally ignore what Jesus is putting on the table. Um, see, I live in the internship capital of the world. So this summer, we've got several hundred interns that are attending our church. And they come to Washington, D.C. for one simple reason. The right internship with the right person can open up the right door down the road. See, you got to get that right internship. You get that strategic internship. And it's amazing how many members of Congress were, were pages or, or um, how many Supreme Court justices were, were clerks um, in, in the Supreme Court. And so that right internship can open up the right door. Okay, I, like, I, I don't know. But an internship with the Son of God has got to count for something. Like, that's got to look pretty good on your resume, does it not? And yet... He passes it up. And I think 
what we have is a moment where there is a divergence. This rich young ruler wouldn't let go of the things he found his identity and security in and thereby short-circuited what God wanted to do. But then you have these disciples and, and they're given everything up to follow Jesus. And here's what I want you to see because I, I want us to, I think sometimes we act like, like, like following Christ is some kind of sacrifice. Are you kidding me? Like we need to get past that. Because the, the last time I checked, if you always get back more than you gave up, you haven't sacrificed anything at all. I don't think anybody has ever sacrificed anything for God. Now, I understand that we make some temporal, you know, sacrifices, but the truth is, you know, he's no fool who loses what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott, listen, we, we have not sacrificed anything for God. So here's what I want you to see. Jesus takes these disciples. They're, they're largely uneducated. They're fishermen. Now, did you know in the first century AD, the average person never traveled outside a 35-mile radius of their home? So, so stick with me. Just picture people's universe, essentially, in the first century was, was 35 miles wide. I mean, that's kind of their universe that they live in. I mean, it was a very simple, a very small existence, if you will. I mean, these disciples, they, they, would have, they would have lived and died within a stone's throw of the Sea of Galilee until they met Jesus. And what did Jesus tell them? Go into all the world. Okay, this is 1,500 years before the age of exploration. Like, th this is crazy. And, and they do it. Um, according to Eusebius, the third century church historian, uh, Peter goes to Italy. John ends up in Asia. James, the son of Zebedee, goes to Spain, and even Doubting Thomas makes it to India. Like, do you see what I'm saying? Jesus takes this 35-mile-wide existence, this tiny little universe that we live in, and says, watch what I'm going to do. Listen, you follow me. I'm going to take you places that you never imagined going. You're going to meet people. You wouldn't believe it. You're going to do things that are beyond your ability to do. See, when we begin to follow Jesus, we think that we're giving something up, but we aren't giving anything up. He is giving us this, this, not just this life, but this eternity that is so much bigger. He like blows up our universe. I mean, just, just think about on a very practical level, how cool is this? That, listen, the disciples had box seats to every parable Jesus taught and every miracle Jesus did. Like, I, I don't know about you, but like, I like really cool experiences. Like a couple of weeks ago, I was hiking the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu. And like, I, I mean, it, it was awesome. Like, I love experiences like that or, or things that are kind of out of the ordinary. And, and, but just put yourself in their sandals. Like, can you imagine? They witnessed every miracle that Jesus did. Like, they filleted the miraculous catch of fish and then essentially ate the miracle. That's awesome! Like, I mean, for most people, like, one experience like that, like, I have lived life to the fullest. And they experience it all the time. Jot this down. Most of us spend most of our lives accumulating the wrong thing. See, the rich young ruler, what was he accumulating? Possessions. He was accumulating things that rust and break and turn back into dust. But you know what? These disciples, what were they accumulating? Oh, they were accumulating holy experiences that are the byproduct of following in the footsteps of Christ. Can I tell you about one of my most memorable days? Is that all right? Thank you. I'll tell you. A couple of years ago, we started a church in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And uh, we, we love Ethiopia. That's now a thriving church. And, and uh, we took a missions trip to be there for the first service as this church got launched. And, and it was an incredible week. I mean, it was, you know, loving people. And, and man, I, I built a mud hut. Um, you know, with our bare hands, it was kind of like Habitat for Humanity, Ethiopia style. And it was an incredible week. 
of ministry. And, and then the, the missionaries said, hey, like, you know, it's been a hard week. Why don't we just, you know, the last day, why don't we go down to Awash National Park and we'll do a game drive? I was all over that. I was like, let's do it. And so we got up early on a Friday morning and we made our way out of the city and kind of into the outback of Ethiopia. And a few hours out of the city, uh, we stopped to have a little picnic lunch and there were some cows grazing in a field. And I don't know why, but cows in other countries are far more fascinating than American cows. And so we're there like, you know, we're taking pictures of the cows and, and uh, out of nowhere come these armed shepherds carrying AK-47s and they look upset. And they're speaking Amharic, so we have no idea what's going on. And, and, and we found out through our interpreter that if you take pictures of their cows, like they, they want some cash. Oh, we paid them. Now, now, have you ever had one of those experiences? I know you have, David. One of those experiences where during the experience, it is so terrifying. But the split second afterwards... It was awesome. You know what I'm talking about? Like, this was one of those experiences. Like, we're driving away, and it was absolutely terrifying. We're driving away, and I'm like, I just got held up at gunpoint in Ethiopia. Like, I am living life to the fullest. Um, my, my wife was not nearly as excited about that information when she found out. But, uh, and so we get back in our vehicles, and... We, we head towards Awash National Park. And before we get there, they take us through some jungle terrain. And there is a hot spring, get this, heated by a volcano. Yeah, how many of you have ever been in one of those? A lot of you. What's going on? <laughs> um, they're hot, aren't they? Like we were told it was 114 degrees. I mean, it, was, it would burn the hair off of your legs. And so we're in there and, and I'm, I'm just keeping it honest. Like I'm dying, but we got some of the male stuff going on. And like, you know, I wasn't gonna be the first guy to kind of like be the guy, oh, it's too hot for me and, you know, get out. And so, so we're all, we are literally cooking in this hot spring and it wasn't, it wasn't seven minutes. And one of the guys on our team fainted. And it was awesome. <laughs> One of the guys on our team had the video camera, like, and literally was locked on it right when this guy went down. The beautiful thing is, like, when he went down plummeting to a certain death, camera didn't move at all. <laughs> you may die, but I'm going to get this on film. Um, fortunately, someone else had the gift of mercy and, and, uh, we got him out of there, man. We, we watched that video like two dozen times. It was, it was awesome. And so we finally arrive at Awash National Park and you guys, we're driving in. And I'm, I don't even know what to do because I'm seeing animals that I've never even seen in a zoo. I don't even know what they're called, but it's spectacular. I'm seated on top of a, of a Land Rover with the African sun just kind of beating down and the wind blowing in my face. And you ever have one of those moments where you can't not worship God? Oh, it's one of those moments on top of that Land Rover. I was just, oh, creator God. Ah, the work of your hands, the creativity and diversity of what you have created is spectacular. These tall, skinny ones and shorter, fat ones. The fast ones and the slow ones. I don't know what they're called, but they're awesome, Lord. You know, and I'm just having this moment where it's just overwhelming that, that I'm, I'm surrounded by the creativity of God. And that night, we're in our campsite and we're just worshiping God around a campfire. And, and afterwards, I get into my pup tent. And I, I haven't heard, I'm not, I'm not a guy that like hears the voice of God every other day, okay? For what it's worth, I mean, you can hear his voice any time. When you open the Bible, he opens his mouth. 
Um, It's good to clap for the Bible. <laughs> but you know what? I'm also grateful for the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, inspired Holy Scripture. And there are moments where the Spirit of God, just why don't I go ahead and bypass the logical limits of your left brain, and I'm just going to speak to you spirit to spirit. I'm going to tell you something that you need to hear. Those are moments that you better capture. Those are moments that you better hold on to. I'm in a pup tent, and I hear that still, small voice of the Spirit of God. And here's what he says. Mark, don't accumulate possessions. Accumulate experiences. Like, bam! Did you just hear that? What is that? What was that? I want to tell you something. I'm not talking about any kind of experience. What I'm talking about are the experiences that you accumulate when you follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. There is nothing like it. When you begin to follow Christ and your life takes on a whole different dimension and you begin to experience things that aren't natural, they're supernatural. And you begin to live your life in a way that, wait, God's ordering my footsteps. Like, he's, he's the sovereignty of God is at work. That, that all things are working together for good because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. And I can do all things through Christ because he strengthens me. And you begin to live your life with this sense of destiny because you haven't, you're not asking Jesus to follow you. Now you're following Jesus. Now you're in that place where he's going to take you places that you had no idea that you could go. But here's what it comes down to. Are you going to accept the invitation to follow him? In order to do that, you're probably going to have to let go of something. So maybe we ought to talk about that for a minute. For the rich young ruler, Jesus asked him to let go of his possessions. He just struck at the heart of it. I'm wondering tonight, is there something that maybe you're holding on to that you need to let go of? And, and it's the scariest thing in the world because you feel like you would be losing something that's so sacred. But what you would discover is that in losing your life, you gain it. That in letting that thing go, that something begins to happen in your life. See, it's all perspective. I think a lot of us are trapped in this mindset. Let me give you an example. I mean, I, I, hopefully it's okay for me to talk about this. Like, I think a lot of people think that, like, when it comes to giving, that the more you give, the less you have. It's a lie, my friends. Give, and it'll be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. Listen, you read the end of this story, and what does Jesus say to Peter? He says, um, you know, Peter says, listen, Lord, we, I mean, we've left everything. And Jesus says, listen, those who have left houses or brothers or sisters or whatever you've left, you, you are going to receive a um, hundred times as much. Do we believe that? Then why don't we give more? I mean, if we really believed it, why don't we do that? By the way, I'm believing this passage tonight. You want to know why? Because Wednesday night, I'm having dinner. And someone slides a $500,000 check across the table. And I remember, about a week before, I felt prompted to give $500 to a ministry. I did the math. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, here's the funny thing. How many of you found that even when the Lord answers our prayer, like we, we often don't even give him credit because we forgot we asked for it in the first place? You know what I'm saying? I don't think we connect the dots. Now listen, you gotta know my heart. God is not a slot machine. If you give to get, you're not gonna get anything back because God looks at the motives of the heart. And you give because it's the greatest investment you can make. 
because you want to advance the kingdom of God. But you also know that God can do more with 90% than you can do with 100%. I have a 93-year-old friend. Anybody else have a 93-year-old friend? Um, His name is Stanley Tam. We shared a dinner together about a year ago, and it's a dinner that I will never forget as long as I live. Uh, Stanley Tam, on January 15, 1955, made God his senior partner. Now, I kind of like that because it's kind of a business term and it, it, it almost has, you know, a little bit more relevant application than, you know, Lord is something that in our culture, I mean, we, you know, we don't use that language as much. And, and so, and here's the deal. Stanley Tam had started a business called the United States Plastic Corporation. At the time, I mean, the revenues were only a couple hundred thousand dollars. It wasn't much. But he felt impressed by God to make God his senior partner went and found a lawyer and said, I want to make God my senior partner. And the the lawyer laughed at him and said, I I can't do that. How can I do that? Like, I can't do that. He had to go to three lawyers to finally find someone who would make God a senior partner. Here's what he did. He literally transferred 51% of the stock of his company to God. And here's what's so beautiful. Listen, most of us, our back would be black and blue from patting ourselves. Stanley felt convicted. And he went back. And he gave God 100%. From that day to this day, my 93-year-old friend, Stanley Tam, has given away $120 million to the kingdom of God. you feel sorry for him? You wouldn't if you met him. He's the happiest, most fulfilled guy you could ever meet. You know what I love? He said, like, this is so classic. He's like, you can only wear one suit at a time. Like the guy has like one suit of clothes. Like he's driven the same truck that he drove like some of the 1970s. And like, well, well, I don't need anything more than that. Um, I love that. And see, I think that many of us feel like, but if I give it up, I'm losing something. You aren't losing something. You're gaining something that is so much more. And if you can learn that principle, it can transform your life. As a kid, let me kind of come to a close. As a kid, our family used to watch a television program called Wild Kingdom. You guys are way too young. Oh, two of you aren't. Um, it was like, I, I don't know, I guess like, yeah, I mean, it was, and so on Sunday nights, like this show, um, Wild Kingdom, and I remember one particular episode um, about monkey trappers in Borneo, and it talked about how they would trap monkeys, they, the monkeys um, would kind of come down out of the forest, and, and these trappers would take a gourd, and they would hollow it out, and they would um, drill a little hole in it. And they would put some seeds that the monkeys loved inside the, the gourd. And then they would tie it to a stake in the ground. And so then the trappers would leave and the monkeys would come down. And they would put their hands into these gourds to grab the seeds. And they would grab them and they couldn't get their clenched fists back out. And so, and then that's when it got really good. Because then the trappers would come back and the monkeys would go nuts. But, but they wouldn't unclench their fists. And so they're like literally like trapped by what they held on to. Now, I know that's a folksy story. And there's part of us that like, oh, those silly monkeys. Oh, silly, silly monkeys. (laughs) Monkeys are so silly. Silly us. Silly, silly us. The things that we hold on to that have absolutely no eternal value. Oh, but I can't, I can't give that up. So hard. You don't unclench that fist and give that thing up. Then on the day you die, you will still be asking the question, what am I still lacking? Can I suggest that this is one of the saddest stories in the Bible? I'm going to wrap it up with this. 
I'm going to tell you why. It's because few people in Scripture had as much potential as this rich young ruler. He had wealth with which he could have done so many good things. And he had power that he could have leveraged for the kingdom of God instead of just selfish purposes. And besides that, he had those two things when he was young. I mean, he had his whole life in front of him. I mean, you think about the difference that he could have made with the resources that God had given to him. But he didn't do it. Here's what I think. I think at the end of his life, he still had everything. But I wonder if there was a moment that he realized it amounted to nothing. Nothing. I pray that we would make the right decisions as young as we possibly can. I, you know, I'll be honest. Like I, I tend to speak to people that are a little bit older than you. <laughs> but I love this. Timothy said, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. So I'm here to challenge you tonight. I wonder if even at this stage in your life, is there something that you need to let go of? And it's in let go, letting go of that thing and beginning to follow Christ the way that you were destined to, that your life could absolutely change right here, right now. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.